Welcome. You are listening to Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, part of the Iconochromatic Podcast Network. Before I begin, I will warn you there will be spoilers about the film, so if you've not seen this before, I would recommend switching off, watching the film first, and then coming back and listening to this podcast. Other than that, enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to Sunday Afternoon Cinema with me, Christopher Windsor, and with my co-host, Mike Larkin. Say hello, Mike. Hello, Mike. We've got to get you a better joke, honestly. I mean, I'll grant you that was funny like three episodes ago, but (laughs) now it's just a bit tired if I'm completely honest with you. Well, you will keep on saying say hello, Mike, so... Well, I suppose I am kind of setting myself off for that one, really, aren't I? You are. I'm Um, I'm not to blame. (laughs) <laughs> and he's a stand-up comedian, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently he is funny. I never claim that. <laughs> Isn't it kind of like a prerequisite for being a stand-up comedian? I don't know. Have you ever seen John Bishop live? He manages to pull it off. Or indeed Michael McIntyre. Michael McIntyre is actually very funny live. Really? Really? I've seen but 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 Absolutely. let's let, let's not bash comedians because you know I I, I was listening, I was actually listening back to an episode the other day um, and we were talking about uh, we were talking about Michael Bay and I think I must have slagged him off like five times in the space of an hour and it's like oh god that's just we need to stop because honestly it's just not it's, it's not it's, that that seems fair that seems like you're holding back. <laughs> I, I, I just feel that we should leave the poor man alone because, you no, know... No, enough bay bashing. <laughs> well, from one director to another, we are going to be discussing the 1994... Four. It is, isn't it? Yes. The 1994 Kevin Smith classic, Clerks, um, from the View Ask You, View Ask you Universe... Thank you very much, Lee. Um, Where multiple films were made after this to create what I think are some of the funniest and some of the best films that I've I've ever seen, I've got to say. I mean, you know, what, what what do you think overall to Kevin Smith and his series of films before, you know, before we start talking about clerks in general? I, honestly, I've been a fan of Kevin Smith since, since day one. With the possible exception of Cop Out, which nobody liked. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't in, count that as part of the Viewerskewverse. I, well, I wouldn't class it as a Kevin Smith film. He only directed it, he didn't write it. Mm. Um, and let's face it, fucking Bruce Willis didn't do him any favours. <laughs> um, I've never seen it, but I have heard um, an interview that apparently um, with Kevin Smith, and as somebody else on another podcast said, and I don't make claim to this to this quote, I this is not my original thought, but I think it's a very good idea, where he said, you know, Kevin Smith has effectively turned bullshitting into a, into a profession, and it's kind of true. You know, you, you never really know what to believe from Kevin Smith to a certain extent, but he basically said in one interview, like, um, you know, that Bruce Willis was this was a bit of a dickhead frankly and everybody thought that he was lying until somebody who had also worked on um cop out said oh you got the moon and they basically said that apparently there's two sides to bruce willis there's the sun and there's the moon if you get the sun he's the nicest guy in the world if you get the moon you might as well just give up 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can't really say an awful lot about Cop Out, because I've not seen it. The main thing I know about Cop Out was that he was very nasty towards critics, who basically said, oh, you critics, you get paid, you know, to just watch films, and you, you, never, you never make anything, you never produce anything, so who are you to complain? And as Mark Commode pointed out, it's like, well, you weren't saying that when we were enjoying your films, Kevin. So you can't say that now. So, but, you know. Yeah. But again, I wouldn't class it as a Kevin Smith film because, you know, if he's if the man's allowed free reign to write, produce, direct, then, yeah, he's able to produce a high class of movie. What if do you he's, think Fred State? Uh, it, it, honestly, I thought that was a terrifying film. <laughs> Very much so, yes. Terrifying, especially considering the real world politics that were going on at the time it was released, with the likes of uh, Westboro Baptist Church. Oh God, yeah. Um, yeah, it was very frightening. I mean, it's you know we we won't go into it too much, but honestly, if you've never seen it before, and it just just you know honestly, just go into it knowing nothing. But what we will, what I would say though is that if you have seen other Kevin Smith um, films before, Red State is totally unlike anything you've seen from him. Absolutely. Um, in in fact, what they what they did on the um on the on the advertising campaign was um the latest film from that Kevin Smith, um as if to say, well, we've we've got this film about that is like Mike says, effectively about the Westboro Baptist Church and this insane. Insa- you know, this insanity that's going on, but it's the bloke that made more rats, cloaks, and dogma. No, it, it can't be the same bloke. So, you know, they were quite right in, in, in what they did, you know, in their advertising campaign. I think they were absolutely correct in that. And I think it's quite clever in what they were saying, to be honest. Yeah, because I think they had, to make, they had to make certain people knew this wasn't going to be your average Kevin Smith film. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There were no cute fuzzy moments with Jay and Silent Bob outside. Could outside. you imagine if Jay and Bob had Silent, Jay and Silent Bob had showed up in the middle of Red State? If that would have been too surreal. <laughs> it really would have. It would have been, yeah. It's Jason Lockhart. Snoochy boochies, bitches! <laughs> oh, it should... Yeah. Right. Anyway... Let's, uh, let's go on to Clerks. Okay, so, um, Clerks is a film that I think truly splits audiences. You either think it's funny, timely, poignant, and prove that you can basically achieve anything if you put your mind to it, or it's a film that is about, that is basically about a group of people who just swear constantly and are doing nothing with their lives, and it's one of the worst films ever made. The story is of Dante Hicks. He works at a convenience store in New Jersey. He could be doing something better in his life. He knows it, but he won't change because he feels he'd be abandoning his post if he did. You see him going into work on his day off because his boss has been able to make it in and no one else is available to cover a shift. Going into work for him isn't seen as just going to work. It's his life purpose. It's something he has to do. And so you see him setting up shop and getting ready to run the quick shop, the quick stop on a day-to-day basis. It's a bit, it's a bit mundane in that regard. We follow Dante and his various others, including Randall, Jay, and Bob, who is silent through the day, including playing hockey on the roof, going to a wake, 
being abused at by being abused by a chewing gum and basically whatever else they can do to keep themselves from going insane and effectively having a laugh whilst they're trying to do the job, whilst hating everybody around them. The plot is somewhat thin on the ground, and there isn't much to say about it, but that's exactly the point. I think it's a film that's meant to show people, you know, how it was to be in the 90s, you know, and how it still is to a certain extent. I think it represents, you know, Generation X, as it were, how they grew up confused, not knowing where they were going, not knowing where they were go- what they wanted to do. And it was a time period, I think, when, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty and there wasn't a lot of hope for people. You know, it was a world where Wayne's World and Bill and Ted were very much, um, you know, relevant. I, th- I think it was to an extent. And that's basically the plot, really. I mean, th- there isn't an awful lot to this plot, as I say, but that doesn't make it a bad film. I think it's still a very good film, nonetheless. Well, I think we touched on this in our, in our very first podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, folks, go back and listen to it. It was about yes, the film uh, Office Space by Mike Judge. Mm-hmm. And I said there was a familial connection between these two movies where they could always be cousins... And I still think that. And he watching it today, I was I was sitting there thinking, I want to be Randall Graves when I grow up. <laughs> there, there is, yeah, there is a certain amount of, you know... Um... There might not be much plot, but what there is lots of, there's lots of dialogue. I was going to come on to the dialogue, absolutely. Some of the wittiest, funniest dialogue that's ever been committed to film. I think uh, it was the dialogue that actually sold it to Miramax. It was one line in particular that, that convinced Miramax to buy it, and we'll touch on that in a bit. But I mean, really, the dialogue that makes it—I mean, it's the characters as well. The characters are very finely written and very finely performed by all the actors. But dialogue is what stands out for me, and the soundtrack. It, it truly was a film that spoke to a generation, ultimately. I mean, you can kind of see where Randall is coming from in, in in this film. You know, he says, I like hanging out with my friends, I like having, you know, watching movies, and I like giving customers shit. Admittedly, that shouldn't, you know, if you listen to adults of the generation, certainly you know, of, of, of mine and Mike's parents. I, I can't speak for, for for your parents, Mike. I don't know what they were like when you were growing up. But they were very much of a generation, at least my parents were, of grow up, get a job, buy a house, buy a car, buy a family, etc. Et get a family, yeah. rather, etc., etc. We are now the generation where that isn't really the case so much anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's not that of... Sorry. There's not that imperative to kind of it, it, go It's for. not, no. And I almost envy these people to a certain extent of basically just getting by at the bare minimum. That there, There's something to, to almost envy about that, of, of caring that little. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, there's, a, there's a line from Randall that stands out in, in the movie for me, and it's uh, this job would be great if it wasn't for the fucking customers. Yes. 
<laughs> well, yeah, because he says, um, you know, I, I, it would be great if it wasn't for the Christmas. Which ones? All of them. Yeah, and the, I mean, it, it does lead to a wonderful, a wonderful moment where they're discussing which customers really wind them up, and it's. And it's just worth watching just because it is great. And a line that I remember today and I always will remember is when um, Randall's talking about what movies people come in to rent. And like, they come in and rent the worst movies and then it cuts someone and it's just like, because he says, Ooh, Navy Seals! And I don't know why, but I always remember that line and it always cracks me up. And I've never even seen Navy Seals. So I don't know if it's a bad film. You should never see it. Let's, let's put it this way. It'll make you pine for the works of Michael Bay. It could be the greatest film in the world for all I know. It's not. It's really not. It's got Steven Seagal. <laughs> That's all you need to know. It's got Steven Seagal. <laughs> I mean, what what I think what? is great about this, and you know, in, especially the dialogue, is, is one line, and I don't think it's necessarily the line that you were going to speak of, but We'll see if it is. Is that you? If you know someone like Clerks, all you have to do is go up to them and say, "I wasn't even." And how will they respond, Mike? Today, exactly. It's it's the repeated line from Dante that is famous now, but is almost a hindrance to himself. I mean, like you say, the script. And how the dialogue is delivered is brilliant. In, fa- in fact, you know what? No, it's not brilliant. I think it's perfect. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's genius. I know people could see this as a script of just of people just saying cock, fuck, shit, cunt, etc, etc. But it's not. If you block out the swearing and listen, it's an amazing script with an amazing amount of dialogue. It is. I mean, it's a film that's basically about the mundanities of life. Yeah. Uh, contained within... It's set in the course of one day, which, you know, to write a film like that is difficult in itself. And to write a film like that and have it come out coherent and funny and successful must be even harder. Yeah, I mean, for the amount of for the amount of lines and the amount of dialogue that uh, Brian O'Halloran, who played Dante, and Jeff Anderson, uh, who played Randall, have to deliver, you'd think they'd been in multiple films. You know, you'd think they'd had massive experience. And whilst I think both of them had acted before, or at least I believe that Brian O'Halloran, at the very least, had been in um, a number of stage plays before making this film they didn't really have an awful lot of experience and I think no. that's truly impressive. There were two members of the cast, I think, that had previous movie experience out of, out of 50. Yeah. A cast of 50. So there were two that had been in movies before. So, you know, that to me is testament to, you know, to the cast. I think even coming out, coming in as beginners, so confident. Absolutely. I mean, Cloaks is and always will be an important film. I would wager that if you go to most media schools or colleges, the majority of people will have heard, will have at least heard of Clerks and hopefully have seen it. At least I hope so. I think um, it shows that you can make something of yourself, you know, if you're willing to try. I mean, if you're willing to make the sacrifice as well... Uh, 
famous story here. I don't know if everyone knows it. That um, to finance the movie, Kevin Smith sold his comic book collection. He, he basically made it off um, off credit cards and anybody else who would be willing to lend him money. Effectively, really. Yeah, it was a loan. It was credit cards, a loan from his mum and dad, and selling his comic book collection, which he later managed to buy back. Um, but if you're a comic book collector at all, anyone listening to this will know what what kind of a sacrifice that is. You know, that's like selling your children to some people. So that that's how much this movie meant to him. I the the reason he did it, the reason he he actually acted as as Sam Bob in this, he said, if it fails, I end up working at the quick stop for the rest of my life. At least I'll have something to point at and say to people, that's me. I think that's how it is for an awful lot of people, to be perfectly honest with you, who are involved in some way in, um, you know, in, in, in the creative outlook. You know, for, for an awful lot of people who write, it's just about getting their name out there. You could produce a book that sells five copies that virtually no one knows about, but at the end of the day, you can turn around and say, I wrote that. I got my yeah. name on it. And that's the most important thing, I awesome. think, to a creative mind. Absolutely. Even having one person read, read, you know, pick up a piece of your work and read it, watch it, listen to it, whatever it is, makes that creative process worthwhile. I mean, just just um, just yesterday in work, um, I was speaking with some. I was just talking to a colleague, um, and he turned around to me and he said that he'd listened to the um, to the green room um, episode that we made. Oh yeah. And I didn't want to start saying, "Oh my god, oh my god, what did you think? How great were we?" But you know, no, I I I played it cool. You know, I I didn't I I didn't say anything too bad. It was commented that you were incredibly scouse, though, Mike. Uh. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I don't think it was an insulting way. It was just the thing, because um, I said, you know, we, we do record over Skype, so that's possibly the reason why why you do, because the sound quality oh, isn't fantastic. Possibly is. <laughs> I hate um, the on recordings. <laughs> so that's the basic story covered. So let's let's talk about the, the main characters of the film, because really there are only four that, Re, you know that really matter in this. Ultimately, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of bit players, but I think if we discussed everybody came on stream, we'd be here all day. So let's just cover the main four. Um, the first we've got is Dante Hicks. He is truly the model of a martyr, narcissist who's got a massive only child complex rolled into what rolled into himself. He believes Absolutely. the world revolves around him. And if he didn't show up to work, it would grow into a fo- to a halt. He feels that he needs to take blame for things he's not done, and will bitch and moan about doing things that he was not meant to have done, almost so that he has the opportunity to do so. It, it's and yeah. I I recognise these traits. It's the willingness to take on extra work, not because you want to do the extra work. But well, so because that, you're about to. Yeah, and so that five hours later you can turn around and say, Oh, I did all this extra work earlier. Feel for me, feel for me. And, you know, if anyone dared turn around and said, 
well, no one ever asked you to. You can then so, turn around and say, yeah, but if I did, no one else would. It's pure martyr and only child complex. It really is. And I know so many people like this. I mean, I'm not going to name names. And to a certain extent, I could kind of relate to Dante because I am sort of like that in, in, in my own world, although I'm trying to stop it. But what, what did you think of that assessment about Dante in general? I, I think that's pretty spot on. As you say, he's got, he's got a bit of, of a complex and, a, you know, a kind of, oh, woe is me outlook on life. Uh, he, he's massively, massively hypocritical at times without even realising it. Um, yeah, yeah. And kind of, he's quick to point out the faults of other people, but woe betide anyone that... That's right. I, I don't think he even realises the hypocrisy of of himself, does he? I mean, you know, that's um, at the very beginning you see him having this very attractive, very lovely girlfriend who comes and hangs around at the quick stop purely for his benefit. But the minute he finds out that his ex-girlfriend, who he's not seen for a while, may be splitting up with her boyfriend, he's suddenly all ready to jack that all away and go back to his ex-girlfriend, who he admitted in the past, was incredibly horrible and incredibly nasty to him. Mike? Uh, yeah, there's a conversation in the movie that Dante has with his girlfriend, and in the course of the conversation we find out that Dante has slept with 12 people while his girlfriend has only slept with three people, including Dante. <laughs> However, she has orally pleasured, shall we say, uh, 36 men. Not in a row. Or at one go. Not in one go. Uh, but she has orally pleasured 36 men, which Dante, for some reason, has a massive issue with. Well, technically it's 37, including Dante. Yeah, she, well, she didn't clarify if it's including him or not. Oh, no, 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 I'm fairly certain she says that it's including him. Oh. Although, there, there is also um, something else that, uh, that upsets him uh, called snowballing. Oh, yeah. Mike, would um, you care to elaborate on that one? Yeah, I think, I think the line is every time I kiss you now, I'm going to taste 36 other guys. Ah, Mike's not wanting to discuss what it actually is, so I'll explain it. Basically, in fact, I'm going to very quickly look this up on the internet. I want to see if there's an actual definition on it, not just on what is on the film. I know what's no Oh, boring. yes, there is. Oh, it's even, got a, it's even got a Wikipedia page. So I'm going to read it off the Wikipedia page. This will be interesting. Um, okay, and I quote... Snowballing, or snowdropping, is the human sexual practice in which one person takes someone else's semen into his or her mouth and then passes it to the mouth of the other, usually through kissing. The term was originally used by gay and bisexual men. Researchers who surveyed over 12,000 gay or bisexual men in the New York LGBT community in 2004 found that around 20% had engaged in snowballing at least once. In heterosexual couples, a woman who has performed fellatio, 
may afterwards return the semen to her partner's mouth mixed with saliva. The couple of the other partners may exchange the fluid several times. That just seems unhealthy. Causing its volume to increase. Okay. And most sexual, uh, heterosexual men are apparently uncomfortable with the practice. Um, in, Kevin Smith, in Kevin Smith's film Clerks, the character William Black is nicknamed Snowball because he enjoys the practice. A somewhat similar practice in heterosexual pornography is cum, is cum swapping, in which a woman passes semen from her mouth to that of another woman. And there's other things on Wikipedia which I'm not going to go into, although, yeah, in fact, we'll stop yeah, there. Yeah, please, please don't include links. <laughs> we do not need to see video or photographic evidence. It's not video. It's, it's, simply, it's, it's simply a discussion about other things, such as something called felching. Ah. And something else called Gukun, which I've never heard of. Well, what? Okay, uh, Gukun. Gukun. Yeah. Is a okay, Jap- yeah. It's a Japanese term for sexual activity in which a person consumes the semen of one or more men, usually from some kind of a container, commonly used containing cups, large beakers, bowls, baking pans, and wine or cocktail glasses. The first majority of these scenario involves the semen of multiple men. And I think we'll stop there. I think we will. There's actually a picture on the Wikipedia page of a woman. but It's only a drawing, just for the record. It's not real. Um, <coughs> yeah, I'm going to close that page now because I don't really want to know. But anyway. Um... Yeah, clear, clear your browser history. <laughs> Ah, you see, that's that's why you have private browsing. So, yes. As I said, the thing is, with Dante and his girlfriend, is they seem to have a genuinely good, healthy relationship, and yet he is willing to throw it all away with the possible, you know, the reason that he might possibly be able to get back with his ex-girlfriend, who he admitted cheated on him on more than five occasions. You know, uh, he actually why? meets one of these people. Uh, yes, he does later on in the film, um, or at least, or at least one of the one of the people um, that was cheated on. Um, you know, and, and it, it, you know, what do you think Dante's problem is, as it were, as such? Do you think it's simply that he is so wrapped up in his own universe? He just can't see anything else, you know. What 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 do you reckon it is? I think it, I think it really is. I think, I think he's he's kind of spent ages trying to get over this girl. Recently got got back in touch with him with her, and then he finds out through a newspaper announcement that she's engaged to be married to a Japanese art art major. Yes. Um, and she says, you know, she explains to him, no, it's, you know, it's all a mistake. My mum posted the advert. You know, I said that I'd give him an answer later. Um, and I think he's basically, it's the grass is always green, the type of thing that he's going through. Yeah, because Dante is very much, you know, he he's, I think he's the, um, I think he's the person that you meant to like the most. 
and I think he's the person that you're meant to relate to the most. Yeah. He's not. He's, he, he's, he's not, the no. thing. I mean, I, I like Randall because Randall is just, he's honest. Yeah, he he is who he is, and he, you know he he just yeah. I mean, and and you see this, you know, and I don't think we should talk about it too much right now because you know as as we'll go on to what we plan to do in the future very soon. But you do see a part of it in Clerks too. You know, um, Randall makes a speech in Clerks too, where he says, "Look, you can say whatever shit you want about Jay, but at the end of the day, at least they know who they are." And it's the same for yeah. Randall. Dante can criticise Randall all he wants, but he's, at least Randall knows his place. Yeah, absolutely. And Silent Bob's only line in the movie, and I think it's a great line, and he says to, says to Dante, so you know there's a million fine-looking women in the world, dude, but you don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. Yeah. And that to me is the only line in a movie, and it was Kevin Smith's first ever line in <laughs> movies. And just wonderfully delivered, and so brutally honest. Just saying, listen, you've already got the perfect woman. Stop chasing clouds. Stop chasing Amy. Yeah, exactly. Chasing Amy. But we'll not um, talk about that just yet. Not just yet, no. So, but, yeah, let's let's go back to Randall for it. Uh, let, let's go back to Randall, because I think there is a lot more to be said for Randall. Um, Randall is actually the most fleshed-out character in this. Yeah. I think. Because um, he, he just jumps into being as a fully created character. Uh, he's, he's really the character I like most in the entire movie. I think he's definitely... He is definitely the funniest. As funny as Jay is... Randall is definitely the funniest, in my opinion. Oh, he definitely is. I I think Jeff Anderson, who plays him, was the perfect choice for this role. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's because, obviously, he's who we have got used to in Randall, but I absolutely agree. I I couldn't imagine anyone anyone else playing Randall. Um... I mean, as I say, Randall is, he knows his place, as it were. He knows his ambitions, and he knows what he likes, he knows what he enjoys doing, and he's quite happy doing that. And, as you say, I think that's what what makes him the most um, fleshed out character in this, because he doesn't think he's anything that he's not. Yeah, you know, he's, he's a guy who's in a shitty job. He knows he's in a shitty job dealing with shitty customers. So he's making the most that he can out of it. And just enjoying himself. Yeah. And he does have some of the funniest lines in this. I mean, you know, there's, th- there are certain lines that I'm not going to repeat. Um, and it's because, God, yeah... And I think I know the one you mean, Mike. And if you don't know what I'm, you know, and if anyone's listening to this, it's um, it's the happy scrappy hero pop scene. Ah. Oh. And it starts out so innocently at the very beginning with whispers in the wind, and to each its own. And then it uh. goes to put it where it doesn't belong, 
and then he carries here. on, and it's just hilarious. Full list here. Don't do it. This is an RSC video call and customer number 4352. I'd like to place an order. Okay, one each of the following tapes. Whispers in the wind. Tweets at home. Put it where it doesn't belong. My pipes need cleaning. All the shit fucking volume, mate. I need your cock. Arse-worshipping rim jobbers. My cunt on eight shafts. Come clean. Come gargling naked sluts. Come buns three. Coming in socks. Come Eileen. Huge black cocks with barely white cum. Girls who crave cock. Girls who crave cunts. Men alone through the KY connection. Pink pussy lips. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, and uh, all holes filled with hard cock. We are so good enough to put a warning on this episode before we put it out. And what's great about this scene... And it didn't actually happen on camera because um, Jeff, uh, because Jeff O'Halloran refused. To, sorry, uh, Jeff Anderson rather refused to do it. Was that right before he's reading off this list? You see a woman and her young daughter come into the uh, come into the um, video rental store and say, you know, we want this video. We want this video, and he says, it's okay. I'll check with the distributor if we can get it. And that's when he starts asking these questions. And you just get um, a close-up of um, of Jeff, and then flicking back to the uh, to the woman and her child. Um, now Jeff didn't actually read these lines out in front of her. He he refused to do it because he thought it was just too bad, especially with a yeah. child being involved. He was embarrassed in front of the woman, which is fair enough, really. You can't blame him. I mean, you know, he he said. Much worse dialogue in Clerks 2 at a particular moment, but God, this is bad. What about the Aston Mountain? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm more. Well, you know what, we'll talk about it when we come to talk about Clerks 2. Um, but it made me feel uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie, and I certainly don't think we'll be quoting that out. Um, oh, you know, must be talking about Lord of the Rings then. Uh, <laughs> I actually did that impression to someone in the in the pub the other day. We were talking about um, Lord of the Rings, and then I thought it was rubbish, and I did that impression. And the, I knew the war was the walking. Yeah. Did he know you were referencing Clerks too? Didn't have a clue. I don't think. <laughs> so I now need to get him to watch it. Um. Yeah. Um. What was what else was going to say, rather? Yeah, Randall says he hates his peop- the people who come into his into his store, and the thing with, the thing is, I don't think he dislikes his job as such. I think the problem is is that when push comes to shove, he's he's, a mis- he's very misanthropic. He doesn't yeah. like people, and he doesn't. Although he does like gathering, strangely, he does like gatherings. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think what it is, is he just won't allow his job to control him or indeed his actions. You know, I, I, I can't remember it specifically, but I'm sure at one point he said, you know, you, you shouldn't let your work control who you are or, or something along those lines. And, and he's absolutely right in what he's saying. You know, at the end of the day, he, he sees it absolutely correctly, really. 
it's just a job. That's it. You know, that, and that's all it is. And I think he's absolutely got the right idea. I really think he does. There's, there's, there's a little diatribe that Randall has towards Dante. As, towards the end where he's been complaining. Um, so, and Dante says, you know what the real tragedy is about all this? I'm not even supposed to be here today. And Randall, Randall just shouts, oh, fuck you. Fuck you, pal. Jesus, there you go again, trying to pass the book. I'm the source of all your misery. Who closed the store to play hockey? Who closed the store to go to a week? Who tried to win back his ex-girlfriend without even discussing how he felt with his present one? You want to blame somebody? Blame yourself. I'm not even supposed to be here today. You sound like an arsehole. Jesus, nobody twisted your arm to be here today. You're here of your own volition. You're just thinking the weight of the world rests on your shoulders. Like this place would fall apart if Dante wasn't here. Jesus, you overcompensate for having what's basically a monkey's job. You push fucking buttons. Anybody can walk in here and do our jobs. You, you're so obsessed with making it seem so much more epic, so much more important than it really is. Christ, you work in a convenience store, Dante. And badly, I might add. I work in a shitty video store. Badly as well. And then he sighs and says, you know that guy, G, he's got it right, man. He has no delusions about what he does. Us. We have to make ourselves seem so much more important than the people that come in here to buy a paper or, God forbid, cigarettes. We'll dial on them as if they're so advanced. Well, if we're so fucking advanced, what are we doing working here? And that is delivered by Jeff in one go. Yeah. There are no cuts apart from two moments of sighing and when Jeff throws something at Brian. Yeah. That is one take. And again, whatever you think about the bad language, that is brilliant. There's a universal truth in that. Oh, God, yeah. <clears throat> that um, is some amazing... Um, I'm trying to think of the words. I'm trying to think of the words. Um, psychoanalyzing. Insight, yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, it, 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 it's just wonderful. And again, it's Kevin Smith's writing. Yeah. You know, it, it's just brilliant. It really is. I mean, I've talked about the jokes and the witty dialogue before. And Kevin Smith actually brought something up in this that nobody had ever really thought about before. Hmm. We're going back to the Star Wars or the Rings thing. Yes. Production of the Death Star. And you know, the first Death Star was fully constructed. That was that was filled with you know the Empire's guys. They were all in on it. They knew what they were doing. The second one, it was all contractors. And it's absolutely right. You know. He, he, he is writing what he's saying but I think the question is which was better, which did you prefer Empire or Jedi oh it's Empire yeah well, I agree I, I think it's I think it is Empire it's you know I, I don't get why people like Jedi so much I don't understand um, but yeah I mean this is this is really the genius of Kevin Smith you can tell he is a geek. 
And I think that's partially why certainly you and I and other people like us love this film so much. This is a film for us. It really is. It really is. It's what we would make as a film. You know, I think I think if you and I and you know, um, you know, to, to to give it a bit of um, background um, for for a period of time anyway, um, me and Mike used to work next to each other on a service desk, um, taking phone calls, uh, and I think and I think we probably did just spend the majority of the day talking about uh, talking about films a lot of the time, really, didn't we? I think. I think at one point we were lucky enough to work in, in, in a service desk where we actually got to spend a lot of time watching movies. Yes, we did, that's true. Uh, as part of our job, folks, you know, we weren't just slacking off. <laughs> it was a, an official part of the job. We, I mean, we I, suffered would ne- I, I would never consider myself to be a geek as such. I, I've had it commented on more than one occasion by more than one person, you know, amazed when I have never been to a Comic-Con convention, um, and I've never been to a comic book store, or, or anything on those lines, that I, I don't watch Game of Thrones and stuff like that. It's like, I don't understand why or where I seem to get this reputation from. I'm this, I'm this massive geek, because I don't think I am. I don't know where I don't know where it comes from. I think they're confusing geeks and fanboys. Possibly, and again, it's... fanboys is another phrase that confuses me a little bit. What you know? What, what exactly is a fanboy? Uh, you know, these are the guys that you know collect everything to do with you know whatever whatever their particular fandom may be, whether it be the kind of Star Wars, Doctor Who, Star Trek, whatever. Um. And that—that that is kind of a lifelong obsession. Yeah, you know, everybody, everybody when, keeps on saying to me that I watch Doctor Who, and then I shout, "I don't watch Doctor Who." In fact, I've seen one episode of Doctor Who, Doctor Who in my entire life, and it was that god awful one they made at the Millennium, and that put me off watching another one for the rest of my life. Was that the one with uh, Eric Roberts? Possibly. It was something the, about time bending or something. I don't know. It was Rubbish. Who played? Well, who played the doctor? I'm going to try and find it now because I am intrigued by this actually, because it was it truly was terrible. Um, in fact, I think it got slated something rotten. Um, it was just, it was a movie. It was one of the else. It was Paul McGann, the I doctor. Think it might have been because it was made specifically because the of um, yeah. Yeah, I think it was specifically for an American audience. Um, ah, okay, uh, that might have been it, Millennium Shock or something. It was made. I think it was made specifically for an American audience, and I, it was based on purely the Millennium and how the world was going to come to an end because of the year two thousand when everyone started panicking. And in reality, you know. It, it was never going to be a problem to begin with, anyway. Yeah, computer programs aren't that fucking stupid. Let's face it. Well, uh, you see, and, and not to, not to get away from it too too much, but the reason I knew that was going to happen was because the um, the 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 battery in my parents' computer kept on making the clock go forwards, um, so it never had any problems. 
Um, it, it, it was stupid. But I'm determined to find this Doctor Who film now because it wasn't. It was specifically a film. Um, yes, right. it was Paul McGann. It was indeed. Yeah. Interesting fact here. I played my very first game of snooker against Paul McGann. Really? Really? Was, was, was he vaguely interesting? I don't remember. I was four. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I just he's lived across the road from me, and I was at her house one day, and he came to visit. Right. And we ended up playing snooker in her living room. <laughs> I mean, I I don't remember much about this, but even at the time, I remember thinking, "This is bad," you know. And I and again, I don't think I'm the only one who thought it was yeah, bad. You are not the only one. Trust me. Trust me. You know. And yet it got a 6.4 on IMDb. I think that's far too generous. But anyway, but anyway, yeah. So we've talked about Randall. Uh, I think I think we've talked about Randall quite a bit, haven't we? I think we've talked enough about Randall. Um, yeah, I mean, Dante and Randall ultimately are a great odd couple, really. No, you know. I wouldn't call it an odd couple. It's no? just a... I think Randall clearly and cares deeply for, for Dante. You know, he, he argues with him, he challenges him, he calls him out on things. And, you know, they, they even do have a physical confrontation at one stage. But I think he does value him. You know, he, he only wants what's best for him. You know, and again, it, it sort of goes on to this in close too as well, where he doesn't want to lose him, you know. And as they say, you hurt the ones you love. Um, yeah. And I think they have a wonderful relationship. It, it, it's clearly a relationship that they have had for many, many years. And if one moved away, the other would be deeply hurt by it. Yeah, um, they are definitely um, entwined, I'd say. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, I'm actually looking forward to seeing them reunited in Clerks 3, I must say. I'm very much looking forward to Clerks 3, I'm not going to say. I've got to say, because you know what? I know that Clerks 2 got an awful lot of bashing, but I actually thought it was a very good film. I actually enjoyed it an awful lot. And no doubt we will cover that at some point. Yeah. Um. So Jay, played by Jason Mewes, he is a loudmouth, crude, disrespectful, drug-dealing little prick that, in reality, you do not like and you would not want to know. It sounds harsh, but it's true. He's horrible. He really is the type of friend that you have and that you hang around with because he says, or because he says funny or weird things, you know, he can get you yep. drink, he can get you weed, but at the end of the day, he's not a person you want to be associated with. And if someone said to you, "Oh, I saw you hanging about with Jay the other week. Are you friends?" you'd say, "No, no, I, I don't know the guy. Sorry, that must have been somebody else." I think you'd be embarrassed to know him. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, at the same time. You know, Jay is, he's just Jay. He, you know, again, he's a character I 
I hope he's not very eloquent about it. He does speak, kind of speak his mind. Uh, and I think he's part, he's probably the reason Silent Bob is silent most of the time. <laughs> well, uh, because you think he probably never gets a word in edgeways? Yeah, he's just kind of, he's kind of resigned to oh, I'm just going to let him talk for the next half an hour. <laughs> You're absolutely right, because the, the, the amount that Jay talks, it, he's just non-stop. He is just a motor mouth. He's a cat. He's 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 a person that has no filter. Yes. He will say whatever. And in a way, it's a kind of admirable trait to have, to be able to speak so fearlessly. Yes. And but at the same time, you just want to go shut up, you annoying little twerp. Let somebody else talk. But I, I think he's he's a great character and. I must point out here, Jay was written specifically for Jason Mew, and actually based on Jason Mew's. Yeah, I mean, and, you, you, you like, hear about when um, when Jay initially came in for the inter- you know for for the um, for the casting and was just going around flating everything, not because it was some kind of a stunt, but because just because he thought it was funny. Yeah, I mean, he want he actually wanted to replace him in Morats. Did he have a particularly large role in War Rats? I can't remember him being especially huge in that. That's the well, strange Well, James and Bob had the little plans, didn't they? The little blueprints and that. I've not seen War Rats in ages, despite having it on DVD. I probably, in fact, I'll probably watch it tonight. Yeah, you should do. I, I, watched it, I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and it's still a fine stand-up movie. Um, it is. It is absolutely. So, do we do we have anything more to say about Jay, or should we move on to um to the silent one? We'll we'll move on. We'll move on to the silent one. Silent Bob is. I think for me, he's always been the standout character because he's the he is the kind of uh, the silent guardian, the voice of reason. He really, for me, is up there with Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, you know, and and I'm trying to think of other um, other people who don't talk. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. I had one that I well, had one That's a comparison of mine. So somebody like Marcel Marceau. I've never even heard of that person, but I believe you. Um, basically, I mean, Marcel Marceau was a famous French mime. Oh, um, that was it. Sorry, sorry. I've just remembered. Um, sorry to interrupt. Um, Gromit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely bang on there, Gromit. Because everything is conveyed through facial expressions and just little shrugs of the shoulder. Yeah, and Silent Bob, Kevin Smith, does that so well. He really does. I, but... th- I, think, the, I think the movie he does it best in has got to be uh, Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yes, absolutely. Um, between that and Dogma, it was, it was two best roles as Sound Bob, and certainly some of his best lines. Although I did like him in Jane Silent Bob Stroke Back. Yeah, no, I, 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 I did as well, but I think, as I say, there's his two best performances for me, and he's got the best lines in those two, two movies. Oh, uh, he has got a fine speech in Chasing Amy. 
He does, and I think it's one of the longest speeches he actually gives in any of his films. Well, actually, I don't even notice this, but in every appearance he's been in, he's actually been a little bit less silent in the previous movie. Yeah, he's almost chatty in Clerks too, to an extent, isn't he? Well, certainly in Jane Silent Bob, uh, Strike Back, he's he's almost chatty, Bob. <laughs> But he, he is, I mean, I again, like like you say, um, you know, the, the part that was written for Jay, I couldn't imagine anyone else playing Silent Bob now other than Kevin Smith. I couldn't. But he didn't write the role for himself. Well, no, he didn't, admittedly. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure who he specifically had an idea for for writing that role, but I, I, I wouldn't want him replaced with anyone else. I don't, think, I don't think he wrote it with anyone in mind. I just don't... He didn't write it certainly with him in mind because uh, he never wanted to be in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, it was the thought... The thought process behind it was I can't really offer this role to anyone else because who's want... What, what, what kind of actor is going to want to play basically a mute who maybe once or twice throughout the course of a movie. And I'm fairly certain it would affect the pay structure. Um, you know, because they may not necessarily get paid so much if they didn't talk. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Whereas, I, I couldn't say for certainty, but that possibly may have an effect. It may. I, I don't know, but, you know, at least Kevin Smith's getting paid either way. <laughs> he did very well out of it. I mean, I think... Um, I think that's I think that's a good place to go to next. I mean, as I said, as I said at the start of this, there are far too many characters to talk about in this film. Um, that it's a it's a wonderful cast, and it's the repetitive cast that you that you see throughout the film, and yet you don't notice. And it's it's done so very well indeed. Oh, Wolf Lion plays four different characters, isn't he? And you don't notice it, do you? He's, he's you just brilliant at it. You don't notice it. Um, you, you don't think it's the same. I mean, you, you do notice it's the same guy, but you don't think it's the same character. And yeah, that's, that's what I like about him. So let's, let's talk about money for a moment. And it's not something that we've ever really discussed on any other film, but I think it's important. Um... I estimated the budget on this film was two hundred thirty thousand. Um, no, which, let's face it, thirty-five thousand. Sorry, thirty-five thousand. The budget was that it entirely? That was it entirely. I, I think he's wrong. Ah, uh, yes, a lot of it probably was through the soundtrack. Actually, thinking about it, and it went on to make um, at least in the box office. In fact, let's just have a quick at this. In a bit more detail, because I want to I want to get this right. Okay. Yeah. So in the one opening weekend, it made thirty one thousand, which you know is a hell of a comeback. Um, in total gross, it apparently made again in the, I believe in the opening weekend, it went on to make um, sorry in, in opening as long it went on to make three million, which is a hell of a payback, really, isn't it? It's really, um, I mean, if 
I don't know whether Alexander Sessions to the character in the movie or whether it's, you know, kind of the zeitgeist of the time and how people were feeling. But Miramax, you know, they weren't taking a massive gamble on buying this movie. It, you know, it, I think it cost them probably a couple of hundred thousand dollars to buy the rights. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they, they played it cool. They, they didn't give it a massive release. At, once, at any one time, it only it never played in any more than 100 theatres nationwide across the United States. Which is, is a tiny release. You know, compared to, compared to some of the, some of the bigger movies, I certainly compared to any anything Kevin Smith could make now. Oh, I mean, by all rights, I think really this shouldn't have gone anywhere. You know what I mean? It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been nearly successful as it was, and yet somehow this let's face it indie flick somehow went on to. You know, as, as I said at the beginning of the film, at the beginning of the podcast, rather, it, it somehow went on to impact so many filmmakers and so many people who make media in general. Um, I, I doubt that there's many people who are heels on YouTube these days who've even heard of Clerks, you know, be, just because there is that generational gap. Yeah. But, you know, I think this is, this is the movie for our generation, I think. You know, the that that speaks to us most. Yeah. Because it was aimed at us. You know, the kind of the people who were going into those kind of jobs. And as Chris mentioned before, we work in these type of thankfully not in face to face scenarios because uh, God knows I would have been serving time behind bars by now. Oh I've 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 done this sort of a job in the past. Uh let's see, what have I done career wise? Uh, I've worked in I've worked in shops selling boots and shoes in outdoor stores. Uh, I've worked on uh, I literally worked on counters in a supermarket in the past. Um, I actually really yeah. enjoyed that film that job because there wasn't an awful lot to it. Um, yeah, I, when I worked in shops, I did security. You did, didn't you? I forgot about that. Didn't you? Do, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I've never, I've never really had to deal face to face with customers unless I've been tackling them. I mean, um, it's not the most wonderful thing to do. I'm not going to lie, but you know, for some, you know, it it is it is a reasonable place to you know to work. I don't think I could do it again. Although a part of me thinks that I probably could do it again as well in a strange way. So before we finish, before we wrap up, um, let's just talk about the viewer skewverse because I do think, not necessarily straight away, but I think we're going to cover all of the films um, one way or the other. So to go through the timeline, uh, we've got Clerks from 1994, we've got Mormats, which takes one day um, before the events in Clerks, Although, strangely, it's after Clerks. I don't quite understand how that worked, but, you know, that that is basically well, the time. They both, it's still on the timeline. I was mentioned the character of Julie dying. Um, and both say she died yesterday. However, 
Leicester takes place on a Friday. On a Saturday, sorry. And Morat takes place on a Friday. Yeah. So there's a bit of debate about which is first. But I would certainly say, for me, the timeline order would go Clerks, Morats, and then on from there. Same. And then after we've got um, after we've got that, we've got um, the Chasing Amy, um, which was a wonderful love story, in my opinion, um, with Ben Affleck, who falls in love with a beautiful lesbian. And it's just... It's just a really nice. It's just a really nice film. It's just a nice little love story. In fairness, that that lesbian is strikingly gorgeous. Oh, she is beautiful. She Joey absolutely Lauren. is beautiful. Joey Lauren Adams is still one of my biggest crushes. And I think what Ch- I think what Chasing Amy does is, you know, and considering the timing of when it was made back in nineteen ninety seven. To say that it was still um, a, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. A relevant movie. Um, no, I'm more thinking, sorry, I'm, I'll get my words out in a minute. It was still an issue. Homosexuality oh. was still definitely an issue back in 1997. So for Kevin Smith to come out with this film and basically say, look, there's nothing wrong with this. And we can make a film about this. I thought that was incredibly brave of him. Sorry, Mike, you're fading a bit there. Some of the jokes in it were probably a bit nervy for people at the time. I mean, even even today, I think they'd be a bit touchy. I think you know, they got... would, but the thing is, I don't think that Kevin ever went to ins- with the idea of insulting anyone in that film. I did, but you know, you've got a line like, I mean, Jason Jason Lee, who's a fine comedic actor, he's somehow, you know, all lesbian really needs is a good deep dicking. <laughs> you know, jokes like that. Yeah, it was a very funny joke, but at the same time, you kind of go. Ooh. Yeah, you can't really say that. Yeah, you can't say that, dude. You know, come on. But yeah, it, it's a film that spoke of not just the issue of lesbianism, but as well as that, kind of the um, the prejudices I think that people hold. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, and for for me, the. One of my favourite characters in that movie has got to be Hooper X, the the uh, the black militant comic book writer. It's fantastic, it really is. Um, but, but we will get onto that film. Um, next in the timeline is what was possibly even more controversial, especially today. It is the it's just wonderful. It's Dogma. Oh, yeah. Which I think is probably, apart from um, the aforementioned um, film that's gone out of my head. State. Red State, thank you. Because um, that doesn't fit into the timeline. I think Dogma is definitely the most serious film that Kevin Smith has made. And I think also possibly one of his biggest budget films, simply because of the people who were involved in the film to begin with. 
I mean, if you look at the cast of this movie and you've got um, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, um, Salma Hayek, Chris Rock, Alan, Alan Rickman. The great Alan Rickman. Uh, you've got some great, great actors in this. And you think, how did he get these people together? How did he? How did he do it? And it's 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 my of of the entire um the entire series. It's my favorite movie. It really is. It's um, certainly one of the best because I think you know it says a lot about religion that people wouldn't necessarily want to touch, but I think it does it very well nonetheless. Um, have you heard the story about um, when when it had the cinema release and people were protesting? Um, I've not heard specifically, but I can imagine it. Well, Kevin Smith turned up at one of these one of these protests with a news crew. We're interviewing people mm-hmm. now. Kevin Smith was unrecognised by anyone, and actually was being interviewed. <laughs> by the TV crew and going, oh, so what are your thoughts on this movie? He's going, I think it's disgusting that the, you know, they're making a mockery of religion. Um, and gave his mate's name as his own. Because none and of those people had a clue who he was and hadn't done their research. Didn't have a clue who he was. Just thought he was a random protester, you know, coming out to protest this movie. And it was his own movie. And I, I think that says an awful lot about the general concern and people who protest these stuff, these type of things without actually doing any research. Because well, and I, I, you know we'll, we'll move away from Dogger in a minute. What it says, you know, how can you how can you not like something if you don't know what what it is? Absolutely. Like, so, like, like people were saying, I've I've never eaten such and such. So I don't like it. Hmm. How do you know you don't like it if you've never eaten it? Yeah, yeah. So going from what was an incredibly serious film to something that is, if anything, the silliest film and crudest film I've ever seen in my life, uh, Jay and Silent Bob, they strike back. Applesauce, bitches. (laughs) Oh, what a lovely tea party. People, people are probably sitting there thinking, "What the fuck are these guys talking about?" If you haven't seen it, folks, you don't need to see it as part of the universe, but it stands alone as it its own really movie. Does. And again, it's got a wonderful cast in it. You know, um, my my particular favourite um, being Gus Van Sant. Um, yeah. When when you see um, Ben Affleck um, saying so. Action, Gus? Like, leave me alone. And he's sitting there counting his money. He's like, you're a professional, Gus! <laughs> and then you've got Wes Craven as well, pops up in his cameo. Of course, Wes Craven, I forgot about him. Yeah. And there's just you know, there's just too many people to mention in this film. There really are. Um, there's too many guest stars. And again, God knows how I managed to get half of these people. Um, you know, but but he well, did. How many in? Sorry, how many favors he had to call in? Well, to be honest with you, 
I don't know, you know, saying that, I don't know how many favours he probably necessarily needed to call in. Because I think for a lot of these actors, they probably, especially with Dogma, they probably would have wanted to be involved. I'm yeah. wondering how many of these actors went to Kevin and said, I want to be a part of this project. Oh, you know, it, yeah, I can imagine that, actually. It, it, um, it's almost like... Um, it, it, and, uh, I, w- I think we're going to cover this series of films as well soon. It's like the um, the Free Cornettos trilogy. You could yeah. almost imagine people were coming to Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright and saying, please, please can we be in your film? Even yeah. if you only let me have one line, sure. just let me be in your film. Yeah. Because uh, he had some real heavyweights in that, in, in that trilogy, like, you know, Timothy Dalton, um, uh, Pierce Brosnan. And Roger Moore. And Roger Moore, yes. Who was the third Bond? There was another Bond, wasn't there? I've already named two of them. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan, um, Roger, that, I, I think it was Roger Moore, wasn't it? No, Timothy Dalton. Yes, in fact, I'm, ah, right, ignore all that, I'm going to find this out on that, because otherwise it's going to bother me. Um, right, what was the first one? Uh, oh yeah, Sean Lewis, that was it. I love how, I love how prepared we are. Uh, <laughs> right, okay, here we have in Sean the Dead. Not that we should really be talking about this, um, but we'll um, we'll be back. Welcome to Gentle Cinema, folks. <laughs> In fact, let's not talk about the um, let let's not talk about the, yeah. Yes, we we will come back to it. And for those of you who've never heard of it in that phrase, uh, that would be the films of um, Sean Dead, Dead's Hot Fuzz, World End. Uh, and the world's end, um, which are just three of the finest films I think that have ever been made. So after Jay and Silent Bob, um, the viewer skewverse took somewhat of a uh, somewhat of a break, and Clerks Two came out. Um, you know, a full ten years after the original film. Um, and there was a lot of questions around this. You know, why was he going back? Why was Kevin Smith going back to Clerks after such a long period of time of being away from it? And because it would be my answer. What was that answer? Sorry. Because he can. It's, it's, it, you know, it's his universe. He, he's crazy. He can do whatever he wants with it. Um, he wants that. And also, I remember hearing him um, in an interview. Um, with um, Mark Commode on the Five Live um, podcast, basically saying, look, you know, I wanted to do this again because I wanted to show where these people have been and what they've been doing with their lives, which is to say, very little. And it's very representative, again, it's representative of a generation. It really is. Um, And that... For the moment, anyway, is the viewer skew verse. Um, we are due to have clerks free, um, I believe, in 2018. Um, I'm sure I heard that we're going to make a more rats too. In fact, let's have a quick look at um, let's let's have a quick look at Kevin's upcoming films. 
and we can see what we are going to get. But I know there's a Clerks 3 coming out, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I'm sure, but as I say... For any Kevin Smith fans out there, I really suggest you listen to his Fat Man on Batman podcast. <laughs> it is one of the funniest, most entertaining podcasts you'll ever hear, especially the Mark Hamill episodes. He talks to Mark Hamill in depth um, for hours and hours. And Mark Hamill is one of the biggest nerds in the world. He's actually he actually wrote into when he was making Star Wars back in the seventies. He's he's a big comic book fan and he used to read the Beano. And he Mark actually Hamill uh, read the Beano. Hamill read the Beano. Jesus. He wrote the letter to, to the Beano to, to claim his Dennis the Menace fan club badge. <laughs> sent him, sent him fifty pence. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so you, you can Google that, but if you listen, if you listen to him, Mark Hamill, of course, the voice of the Joker, um, in James Bond, Bob, of course, he was uh, in James Bond, Bob Strike Back, he was Cockknocker. <laughs> He's also you know, Luke Skywalker. Uh, what's it? What's his character in the Flash? The Jester. I uh, think I've it is the Flash. I couldn't say. Um, but Mark Hamill, he, he's a wonderful mimic. He does he does impressions very well. So if you if you listen, if you want to listen to some to two massive comic book geeks who are just getting off on each other and having a laugh, listen to that podcast. It's well worth a few hours of your time. Um, and it's so entertaining. You'll just grin through the whole thing. Um, so yeah, com- coming up, what we've got announced, we've got Clerks Three that, that's been announced, um, a TV series from, called Mallrats, which apparently is coming up, which they yeah. may not be making um, a second Mallrats at all. I may have mentioned that, although I'm sure I did hear about that. And I, I did hear about Mallrats too, but maybe that's being put on the back burner. And a Jane Silent Bob reboot, whatever that's going to be. Um, that's um, interesting. And also, no. uh, what I'm quite interested in seeing um, this year, as to whether we can actually see it, um, is shooting clerks. Yeah, well, it's not south, isn't it? Um, well, it was released in 2016, but I think it's going to be one of those things where it's meant to be out on the 19th of July this year, and I'm really hoping that facts are going to be showing it. But I think it's going to be one of those films where it's going to be difficult to track it down. It's certainly not going to be in in the Ocean or or Cine World or anything along those lines. I don't imagine. Uh, probably not in that case. Because it looks like a fit. I mean, it looks like probably as low a budget of a movie as Clerks was, which yeah. is no bad thing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now. I've noticed another one of his upcoming projects is uh, Moose Jaws, which um, we were talking about this before the show, folks. Uh, as well as the Viewers Universe, uh, Kevin Smith has started making what, what he calls his True North trilogy. Now, this started with Tusk, which was a kind of comedy horror um, in which a man gets turned into a walrus. You heard that right. <laughs> um, uh, and cast members include 
Johnny Depp, Haley Joel Osmond, um, and Justin Long. Yoga Hoses is the sequel. It's the second part of that trilogy. And um, comedy horror, comedy fantasy horror. And the, the kind of IMDb little, little prattle is two teenage yoga enthusiasts team up with a legendary manhunter to battle with an ancient evil presence that is threatening their major party plans. And there are some there are some great actors in this. Um, I'm just looking through through the cast now. Vanessa Paradis, isn't it? If if anyone remembers who she is, um, Ralph Garman plays uh, an evil Nazi scientist who, who does Hollywood impersonations. Um. Haley Joel Osmond plays a Canadian Nazi. Um, and it's just a crazy film, but it's worth, well worth watching. Very entertaining. One other film I would like to talk about very briefly, um, because it's not a part of the universe, but it is still a, um, it is still a Kevin Smith film. And again, it was one of his more serious films, was Chasing Amy. Oh, that is part of the universe. Would you say? Yeah, it's the same kind because it's connected by the characters. I suppose it is to an extent, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it was really, you know, part of it properly. But I, I've got to say, I thought it was very good, and it seems to get very heavily criticised for whatever reason. I think it was because of a previous film that was made um, with, um, oh, what was her name? It was like... I can't even remember what it was called, but apparently it was it was hated because of it. Um, it didn't help, but I thought it was wonderful. I've got to say, I, I think it's one. I think it's one of the best movies Hollywood has produced in the last thirty years. Mm. Uh, I'll give credit to everyone who backed it for making a brave decision, because you basically make. I don't think. Really, I don't know how to describe it really, but it's basically a, a lesbian love story. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's go back here a second. Did I say Chasing Amy? You did. Oh, sorry. I meant Jersey Girl. Oh, Jersey Girl. Why the... I even had Jersey Girl in front of me, and yet for some reason I said Chasing Amy. <laughs> right, ignore everything we've just said. So, a film that I think that was very good but isn't part of the universe was Jersey Girl. What did you think of Jersey Girl, Mike? Oh, we, I, I liked Jersey Girl before it was cool to like Jersey Girl. Oh, not this again. I had to cut this from the previous episode, actually, because I was embarrassed to have it in there, so let's not even go there from what we were saying. But yes... I'm not going with the hipster attitude of, wow, this is coming... <laughs> Uh, Jennifer Lopez is the actress you're thinking of, by the way. And she wasn't terrible. I mean, I know she wasn't in it for that long, but she wasn't terrible in it. And Kevin Smith at least had the balls to kill her off quickly. <laughs> Poor Jennifer A lot Lopez. of people forgot about that, because the, all he focused on was the uh, benefit aspect of it, that they were a couple in real life. And, you know, they're making this smooth of movie. And, you know, how terrible is it that 
Uh, these people who were in love in real life are making this film together. Let's face it, it's at least it's not Geely. That film was that awful. Was the, yeah, I've never seen that. I don't know an awful lot about that film, but wasn't it basically the same sort of film? No, not at all. It was, um... I that don't even sounds know. terrible. I, I actually stopped watching it. The violent story about a man... It's this, the violent story about how a criminal lesbian, a tough guy hit man with a heart of gold, and a mentally challenged man came to be best friends for a hostage. That is... That, yes. Jesus no. Christ. No. That, that's got a 2.4 in IMDb. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes is even less. I'm sure Make Sure Mrs. John Talk to us got a better score than that. You sure what? I'm sure Megashot vs. Giant Octopus got a better score than that. I'm going to check now. It did, it got a 2.5. Only really just, but it... Megashot vs. Mega Giant Octopus beat Jiggly. That says something. Yeah. That really does. Not much, but it does say something. Oh yeah. One more thing. Um, I, I stopped watching Jiggly. <laughs> Sharktopus got a better rating than Wiggly than Jiggly or whatever it's called. Jiggly. But yet, yeah, yeah, Jersey Girl. I thought it was just a very nice love story ultimately, and as and Ben Affleck, as good as Ben Affleck was in Dogma, and he was very good in Dogma. Don't get me wrong. I think Jersey Gold is his best role because he's not trying to be something he's not. He's just trying to be a normal man trying to do with life. He's, he's a very likeable character in, in Jersey Gold, I think. Um, fact, I think we should include that. You know, we, we might not talk about it necessarily in this series of films, but I think it's a film we should definitely talk about. It's it's a film, I think it's, it's one of those films again after. It splits opinions. People either love it or hate it. Personally, I've I've always liked it because um, I I think it's Kevin Smith trying trying to tell just a it's a simple story. But it, unlike some of his other movies, which has been mainly you know dick and fart jokes, yeah, he's he is actually telling a story with Jersey Girl. I think that's why people took a dislike to it. I think you're probably right. I, I, I think they probably went in there expecting something that they didn't necessarily get. Yeah. I mean, you see a Kevin Smith film and you think, yeah, James and Bob. Yeah, and like and you say, that... dick, dick and fart jokes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, when they didn't get that and they saw Ben Affleck playing, playing quite a serious role mm. in, in what was quite a serious movie, you know, they were there were some moments of, of levity in it. I think they kind of got got outraged because it wasn't the Kevin Smith they wanted. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes, and honestly, when we were getting towards the end of the plot at 20 minutes, I didn't think we'd be able to get that much talked about today. I know, I know that we've ambled and 
gone off the path that we usually do, but hopefully we've been fairly entertaining. Um, we will be back. We definitely will discuss the rest of the um, the other films. Not necessarily in that order, because I think there are other films that I'd like to cover before we talk about Kevin Smith again. Um, I mean, it's, it's probably something we can discuss off the air, Mike, but I'd really like to do the um, the Freak on Letters trilogy. I really want to do the Back to the Future films at some stage. Oh. Um, I think we've got a lot more that we can talk about, I've got to say. I mean, there are enough trilogies out there to keep us going for a while, I think. Oh, God, yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, I, I, I want to talk a lot more about Quentin Tarantino films. I want to talk a lot more, you know, I think we should go back to the horror films in um, in, in Halloween sort of period. But, but we're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves. So, before we finish... Before, be, before we finish... If someone's never heard of Clerks and is unsure as to watch it, how would you describe it and how would you recommend it? Um, it's there's a half answer. It basically takes place all in one place. You know, if, if it's not a film that's huge on sets because he didn't have budget for sets. I think there are maybe three shots in the entire movie that take place outside of this convenience store. Yeah. But it's a very well-contained film, uh, very entertaining and very funny. If you've never seen it, you know, there will be something in it for you, um, whether it's a bit of that human connection between the characters, whether it's something relatable or whatever it may be. I think everyone can get something out of, you know, maybe not you know, the story, the answer to the life, the universe, and everything that we're all after. But you, you will be entertained, I think. I was going to say, what, what I would say is, please don't be put off by the gross out humour, because admittedly, there's an awful lot of gross out humour, including where someone goes um, catatonic um, due to a toilet. But uh, ultimately. The action is carried out within. <laughs> But ultimately, this film has a good heart, and it is very well made. And I think it's a film that, you know, I mean, I, I watched it again today for the first time probably in years. But me and Mike have been planning to do this podcast for the past week, and the more and more I've been thinking about it, and the more and more I've been looking into it online, and, you know, watching watching making of something like that on YouTube, I thought, I cannot wait to see this film again. And I think it always is a film that I will treasure and will never want to stop watching. Not necessarily every week, not necessarily once once a month, but certainly at least once a year, um, you know. It's well worth revisiting. I mean, for those people who haven't who have seen this but haven't seen it in a while, go back and revisit it. Because there will be things that, you know, you, you've forgotten about. You know, you, or you may have missed the first time, and you know you may have had experiences in your life in between watching watching the movie for the first time and watching it for the whatever time it is that you're now watching it that you can relate to. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the final thing to remember, really, when you're when you go into a convenience store, as it would be called in the States, or, you know, a, a paper shop, I guess, we would call it in this country, 
really is a very apt tagline of this film. Just because they serve you doesn't mean they That's like you. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true. I Just mean, remember yeah. that the next time you insult someone at McDonald's. They control what goes on your burger. So, just be yeah. careful. Yeah. Um, wait until you've been served. <laughs> so, a thing that's just done for this week, isn't it? Yeah, I, we, I'm allowed we're, we're coming on two and a half. We've done well. I'll, I'll, I'll finish by saying, you know, treat your clerks with a little bit of respect. <laughs> um, do, carry on to a thankless task. No, these assholes do it, but if they if they weren't doing it, you wouldn't be able to get your Snickers or you know your Gatorade or your cigarettes. So, exactly. So just treat them with a little bit of respect, you know. Please, thank you. That's that kind of thing. It goes a long way, folks. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you once again for listening to Sunday Afternoon Cinema. I have been Christopher Windsor. He has been Mike Larkin. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please consider checking us out on SoundCloud and subscribing. If you can subscribe on SoundCloud. I don't think you can. It, it's a very weird medium, SoundCloud, and it's still one I'm trying to get my head around. I'm going to try and get us onto iTunes at some stage. I'm going to speak to Derek about that and how we can actually get ourselves onto iTunes and, and become a proper podcast, as it were. Because I'm really hoping we might get a bigger reach for the audience if we go onto iTunes. Because I think iTunes is still a bit bigger than SoundCloud, uh, to be honest with you, at this point. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And this has been a production of a iconochromatic... That's not for our audience. Just to say thank you to our audience who do listen who tune in. Every week to listen to our musings, rantings, and ramblings. There's not uh, many of them, so we thank you if you do listen. Royalty pays dividends. Absolutely, it does. This has been an iconochromatic podcast. Um, if you have enjoyed what you've heard, please consider listening to the sort of fortnightly, free weekly, monthly, effectively whenever me and Derek have actually time to sit down and record uh, when we talk about newer films um, we've got a lot coming up this month so um, please do listen in and thank you for listening and thank you for joining me as ever Mike uh, Thank you for having me Chris Thanks a lot guys, have a good weekend Bye bye This has been Sunday Afternoon Films with me Christopher Windsor on the podcast network Iconochromatic Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.